if you've been married longer than 10 minutes, uh, you know that forgiveness in a marriage is huge. If you can't forgive and you don't have grace in your marriage, man, you're going to be miserable, okay? And, uh, and so when it comes to I need love from my spouse, there is a, a person who is just incredibly respected in our, in our church body, uh, Donna Pyle. I've had the, the, truly the privilege and the honor of knowing Donna uh, for, for many years now. It just, like, just hit me. I'm getting old. And uh, so I've, not, I've known Donna for quite a while. And uh, when it comes to the idea of forgiveness and forgiving a spouse, um, I don't know a more incredible story than what you're about to hear. And, and just to kind of set this up, Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive what other, whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And if you've ever known anyone who is bitter and angry and disconnected from even the possibility of the joy and the happiness they could have in this life, if you dig a little deeper under the surface, you'll find a person who's not able to forgive. They're still hanging on to stuff. And so uh, I just don't know a better illustration and a better story of the work of Jesus through his grace in a person's life than Donna. Will you please welcome Donna Pyle to share this story? You're awesome, man. Thank you. Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. I know we're more awake than that. First of all, I just want to say, I hope you realize how blessed you are to have Josh and Kevin uh, lead your church. Uh, Josh and I go way back. Uh, I go to Salem Lutheran in Tomball, and he was the youth director there for a long time and dealt with the teenagers. And Kevin, the first time I met Kevin, he came down with, he was at Sim, and he came down with the choir. He was part of the choir, and they did a concert at Salem. And I met Kevin, and then he came back and interned at Salem for a summer, and I've never seen someone work so hard with such passion, and I'm so glad that you guys became pastors, because you are leading the next generation, and and thank you for that. Yeah. So if there's one thing that's true of all of us, and is that we have a deep-seated need for love, and we have that from God, you know, 100% all the way, we have that from God. But we receive that or feel that most tangibly through the people around us, you know, our, our family and our friends, and most especially our spouse, because that's a, that's a covenant relationship. It's a very special relationship. That's the relationship that you give your body to, your heart, your mind, your soul. Everything goes into your spouse. So what happens when one day your spouse decides to opt out and not tell you? What, what do you do? What do you do then? And that's what happened to me. Um, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up Lutheran. <gasps> you know, I was speaking at an event one time, and I said that, and some lady on the front row actually did that. <gasps> and I thought, you know, gosh, that's probably most of us that didn't. But anyway, got there as soon as I could. So 23 years old, I go to this birthday party on a Saturday evening and uh, met this gentleman, and we clicked. We really got... Uh, talking well together. And so um, I said, you know, I'm off tomorrow because I usually worked on Sundays. I'm off tomorrow. Why don't I pack us like a picnic lunch and we can go uh, get to know each other. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I go to church on Sunday because he was a lifelong Lutheran. 
And I looked at those big brown eyes and I thought, well, <laughs> if that's where those are going to be, I guess that's where I'm going to be. Can I, just, can I just tell you that God will use anything he can to get you in the church and to get you into a relationship with him? And that started a journey in October of 1990. I was 23 years old. And it started an incredible journey of, of faith. And we dated for six years. And I got baptized during that time, the whole bit. And we were married. Uh, and we were married for 13 years. And then one day, um, it came to light. He was leading a secret double life that he was not willing to go away from. And that was that. And it was hard. It wasn't just hard on me and devastating. We were worship leaders in our church. We were plastered on the big screen every weekend. He was an elder in our church. It didn't just hit me. It hit our entire congregation. And it was devastating. And one of the things that I had to learn how to forgive was the fact that he just went. He never had to see literally the thousands of looks of disappointment on people's face and confusion and what happened, you know, kind of stuff. Because from the moment I found out until I was actually divorced, it was only four months. And so, I mean, we were done before people even realized there was something going on. You know, and what do you, what do, you do with that? You know, we didn't have children. And what do you do with that? I was 42 years old. You know, it was nine years ago. I'm 51. Stop doing the math in your head. I can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear it. And what do you do, though? I remember waking up the, the day after the divorce. I remember my pastors were concerned. My family was concerned. And so when everything was finished in court, I went home and I texted him. I said, you know, I'm okay, but I don't want to talk to anybody. I just need to process some stuff. And I remember waking up the next morning with the weight of singleness on me. And I just crumpled by my bedside and I was like, God, and I said the stupidest prayer of my life, God, would you fill my time? Has anybody said a prayer like that and not really realized what that means? Yes. But what God also did that day was gave me a, just a grace from God, a fierce passion for his word to study his word. Because let me tell you what, the lifelong Christian had done that to me and I, have, I had every reason and every right to be mad at the church, mad at him, mad at Christians, and just be an angry, bitter slob the rest of my life. But God had a different plan. And he put people in my life to help me see that plan come to fruition. And I was in counseling for a year afterwards. And by the grace of God, our senior pastor's wife is a licensed Christian counselor. And for a year, I saw her. Because let me tell you what, God puts those people in our life for a reason. You know, because sometimes when something hits our life like a tornado and we can't see anything but the debris, we need someone outside of that to be able to make an insight into what we're going through, to see things that we can't see when we're just trying to survive. And I remember being so impatient. Like six months into counseling, I was like, am I better yet? Are we done yet? Are we finished yet? Isn't that horrid? But it's the truth. And a year later, and my pastor told me from the very beginning, one of my pastors, dearly beloved friend, he's actually retiring next month, and I'm so sad, it's ridiculous. Um, he said, you need to start praying for your ex-husband, and you need to start asking God to work forgiveness in you and then through you. And I was like, really? <laughs> you want me to pray for him? And he said, yeah. He said, because that's going to be one of the keys to set you free. And so you know what I did? I started praying through gritted teeth. God, help me to forgive 
Literally, I felt like five years old. But you know what? That's what it took. But what I realized is after three or four months, without even really me realizing it, I realized that I had started to pray for my ex-husband with tears because I realized what his actions had cost him and cost me and cost so many people. And there was such a profound sense of sadness there. And one of the things my pastor said is you need to go through scripture and find every passage you can about forgiveness and write it out and about love and write it out. Because when you've been discarded, you need to be reminded how much God loves you. I needed to anyway. Have you ever done that? All the, all the passages about love, did you know it fills a journal and a half, depending on how big the journal is? All the passages about forgiveness. But I think the one thing I had to do is realize, what is forgiveness? You know, I'm a writer, so I'm like, okay, I have to go to a dictionary. Okay, let's, dictionary. If you didn't know what forgiveness is, here's the official definition. To excuse a fault or offense. To stop feeling anger or resentment against and to absolve from payment of. And I thought that last part was interesting. Payment of, what does that mean? When someone hurts us, it creates a debt in our life, a debt of hurt. And someone's got to pay for that. And we have a choice. Are we going to go after the one who hurt us to, to exact that pound of flesh? Or are we going to realize that, okay, God has forgiven that already on the cross. He absorbed every debt I, he, or anyone will ever incur in my life. And I have to believe that and trust that. So we have a choice. It's like that proverbial crossroads. Which, which road are we going to take? And one of the verses that I remember running across that, that impacted my life so profoundly, I still have it as a computer screensaver. It hangs on my bathroom wall. It's Colossians 3.13 that was up earlier. It says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive I saw that word must, and I was like, really? Anybody ever react like that to scripture? Is it just me being irreverent? I was like, really? What that told me, and I went back to the original language, that's an imperative. It's, it's a command. We must forgive. Oh, wow. Because what does it say? If we don't forgive, God does not forgive us. And that is a huge price to pay. And so it says we must forgive. You know, honestly, what I wanted to do was light a fuse on a rocket and launch it at his heart. That's what I wanted to do. And I mean, I know that you've maybe been there with anger. I was so angry and so bitter. And my sisters were like, you going to counseling? You talking to your pastors? How you doing? Because anger and bitterness affects everyone around you. It's like a cloud and it brings everyone. You know those people. You'll see them coming down the hall at you and you find something else to do somewhere else real fast, don't we? Because we don't, it's like a toxic cloud. I did not want to be that person. It was a ministry, leading worship. I, I had to step back for six months because I didn't want to stand up there leading worship, being the object of attention instead of our God that we worship. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's so many things that cost, but the cost was worth it because forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is freedom because God's command to forgive is for our benefit. It's for our ben It didn't really have anything to do with my ex-husband because as far as I know, I mean, we didn't have children and so we didn't stay connected. So I don't know what's going on in his life. But what I know is that I am free. I am free. He went on with his life and if I stayed in anger and bitterness, who was I hurting? And everyone around me. 
It can't be like that. Because people look at us. I have, I have a friend who's atheist. And she was friends with my ex-husband. And how I walked through that was a witness to her that forgiveness is possible even when you mess up in the worst way. People are watching us for a cue on how to, how to forgive. You know, what does that look like? You know, we have to learn those things by watching other people and by learning from Scripture. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because what I realized is walking towards forgiveness was my walk towards freedom. It was a march towards my freedom, not his. Because the world, we're surrounded by a world who takes a Rambo approach. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, if someone hurts us, we're going to grab as many guns as we can and go after them. That never turns out well. It never heals a heart. It never brings reconciliation. We can't be the world when it comes to forgiveness. We have to be able to show. And it can't be a fake show because people can smell a fake a mile away. You know, I, I teach teenagers sometimes, and I tell you what, they can smell a fake at 20 paces. The forgiveness has to be real, and that's something that God alone can work in us. But it has to be real. Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought your precepts, his precepts. I had so many people who were, who were angry at him because I was hurt. You know, you have friends that, he hurts you, I hate him, you know, kind of thing. I get that. But after a while, I had to distance myself from those people because I was working on forgiveness. And I couldn't keep hearing the bad stuff. I needed to focus on what God was doing for the good. You know, I needed to focus on that. And let me tell you, when people go to forgive people who've hurt them, they think they're letting them off the hook. And can I tell you, that's, that's completely wrong. Because our forgiveness is not the same as God's forgiveness. We are commanded to forgive that person, and that's it. Forgive. We don't have the divine power to forgive that person's sins. I, I was not forgiving my ex-husband's sins. That's, a, that's an exchange that still had to take place between God and my ex-husband. Not my business. Our business, forgive and move forward. And so it's not like we're letting them off the hook. It's like we're letting them go to God's justice. And that may bring you delight, and that may not. But I'm just saying it's not letting them off the hook because at some way, in some point, there are consequences that have to be paid. And you know what? We are not judge, and we are not the justice carriers. It's not our job. You know, we didn't have children. We didn't stay connected. So I don't know the consequences in his life, and it wasn't my business. But me forgiving him didn't let him off the hook with God. He still had to confess and repent and go before God. So we just worry about us. We just worry about us and let God take care of the rest of us. And forgiveness, there's, there's a myth that forgiveness is like a one-time thing and it's done. Like I've forgiven. Woo, I'm free. Anybody? Is that real for anybody? No, because the deeper the relationship or the longer the hurt the harder it is. And every time I remembered something, it was a new test of, okay, I got to forgive that. Let me give you an example. I work at a law firm in the Woodlands. I work with attorneys all day. And it was five o'clock traffic. I was going north on 45 to go to a family function. And what you need to know about me is I kind of drive a, a little fast. 
Maybe I've been in a couple of wrecks, some my fault, some not. But I'm crossing, and this is, this is at least one or two years after counseling, after the divorce. I'm going, I'm waiting, stuck on the bridge, trying to go 45 North, and the 45 North is packed below me. And I glance down there, and it comes to me, who am I supposed to call? You know, if something happens, yeah, I've got friends, I've got family, but who? The one who was supposed to be there opted out, and I just started bawling. And I call my mom, I can't come, I'm up there. Mom was like, it's okay. Just make it home and call me when you get there. I had to forgive again. Okay, yeah, the one who is supposed to be my protector isn't anymore. The, there will always be something. And so it's not a, there's a, there's a, a time when the bulk, you can say, okay, that weight is off, but it's going to be for the rest of your life if it has long-reaching effects. So just keep that in mind. I need to debunk some popular forgiveness myths that I think you've probably heard or been told um, that you can forgive yourself. Anybody ever hear that? Because maybe you're the offender. Maybe you were the offender and someone has said to you, God has forgiven you, now you need to forgive Can I tell you that doesn't work? Because what that is saying is, okay, God's done his 80%. I got to somehow come up with the other 20. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. It's God's 100%. So if you are the offender and you have trouble believing you've been forgiven, go through scripture and write out the passages on forgiveness. If you have confessed and repented and asked God forgiveness, scripture says he will give it. So the problem isn't that you haven't, you haven't forgiven yourself. The problem is you haven't believed that you're actually forgiven. So pray for that. Say, God, help me to believe I'm forgiven because I feel horrible. I, I hope that's helpful to you because John 8, 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. And freedom, the air up there is sublime. It just is. Let me say, let me know if you've heard this one. If you haven't forgotten, you haven't. That's another load of garbage, just so you know. Because what that statement says, if I haven't forgotten, I haven't forgiven, says I have the divine power somehow to erase my memory. I, I don't have that power. We don't have that power. It's like a, it's like a physical scar If someone takes a knife and slashes you across the forearm, every time you see that scar, you're going to remember who gave it to you and how it got there. We remember when someone shreds our heart. But the the choice is, what do we do when we remember? Do we go after him for a pound of flesh or do we hand it up to God over and over? I'm telling you, at first it was probably a hundred times a day, little things, God help me forgive, help me forgive. And over time, it's less. And now it's just every now and then if I remember something. You know, I'm 51. Kids ain't going to happen. They already had the virgin perfect Mary. So just saying, that's not going to happen. That's another thing to forgive. It's a lifelong thing. But don't believe that. If you've remembered, okay, then remember how God got you through it. Remember how God healed the scar. Remember those things. That's what you remember. And another myth is that people think forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. They're they're not. Forgiveness takes one person and it's commanded by God. Me forgiving my ex-husband. You forgiving your offender. Reconciliation takes two people. Two people willing to walk towards one another to restore a relationship. 
That is most definitely suggested in Scripture and encouraged in Scripture. But forgiveness is commanded because there are some relationships that can't be reconciled. If you are a battered woman, you know what I mean. And if you are in that situation, can I just tell you, get out. God did not make you to be a punching bag. You don't have to be there. Get out and get some help. But you're still required to forgive. But reconciliation is probably not in the cards because it's not safe. The other person may not want reconciliation. It takes two. So we are commanded to forgive. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden if we forgive, that person's in my BFF again. You know, because that's the fear. Well, if I forgive them, we have to be friends again? No. It'd be nice, but it's not commanded. Forgiveness, commanded. There's a difference. There's a thing called in Scripture called a root of bitterness. Have y'all heard that phrase? It talks about it in Deuteronomy and in Hebrews 11. These roots of bitterness to where if we're angry and bitter, the roots go deep. And the longer we stay anger, angry and the longer we stay bitter, the deeper the roots go. You talk about hard to get out when those roots go deep. There was such a, a clear picture of this after Hurricane Ike hit. It was like 2009, 2010. Um, at my house, I had this huge tree in my backyard, huge, old, gorgeous tree, and lightning struck it during the night in the hurricane. And so it topped on top of my house and leaned, and during the hurricane, during the night, it just cleared off the chimney, the tiles, everything. And it was a huge tree. And eventually, I had it, all the repairs done and had the tree cut down, and it made this really cool stump to sit on. And after a while, I would mow my yard, and I would notice these little, like, trees coming up be like, what, where are these, there's no seeds coming, what? And so I call my neighbor over and I said, where are these little trees coming from? He goes, that's a big stump. And I said, yeah, that was that tree that, that fell on the house. He said, the roots are still alive. He said, you got to dig that thing out or it's going to keep shooting up trees for a desperate chance at survival. That's what the root of bitterness is. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit access to our heart and access to our life to grind out that anger and bitterness, it's going to keep shooting up sprouts that want to take root. We don't want to get there. So there's a litmus test. You may be thinking, okay, I think I've forgiven that person. Okay, here's how you can tell. There's four ways you can tell. The first one is a general thoughts test. It's like a general thoughts test. When you think about the person who's hurt you, is it just like you've thought about them, or when you think about them, you, you taste bile? If you taste bile, there's probably a root there that hadn't been ground out yet. Keep working on forgiveness. Keep working on forgiveness. The failure test. That's the second one, the failure test. When you think of the person who's hurt you, do you wish them well, or do you wish them to lose their job and get cancer? I'm just saying. The failure, do we, do we wish them well, honestly? Uh, my my ex-husband is a gifted, gifted singer. We loved being the worship leaders at Salem for probably a decade. He has a beautiful, and I hope he's still using it, a beautiful Pavarotti voice. He tried out at the Houston Grand Opera for the part of the Phantom and came in fourth in the whole city. Gifted, gifted man. I hope he's still using that gift. And when I think of that, I hope, I wish him well because he blessed so thousands of people, you know? And when I think of, he's a gifted teacher. He, he's a teenage, teenager magnet. Teenagers love him because he's kind of quirky and would, you know, do all these things and endear himself to teenagers. I'm like the teenager, you know, not. But he was the teenager magnet. 
I hope he is, I think he's a, he got his doctorate. I think he's teaching now at one of the colleges. Thank God, because he is an excellent teacher. And when I talk about my ex-husband like that, I have people ask me, does that mean you still love him? My first response is, really? <laughs> but my second response is realizing that the world doesn't understand what forgiveness looks like. They, they confuse it. No, I've forgiven him by the grace of God and let him go and wish him well. I don't wish him to lose his job and get cancer. I don't wish him to fail. That's what forgiveness does. That's what forgiveness looks like. The third thing is the revenge test. The revenge test. Have you moved forward in your life or are you plotting an assassination? I mean, that's a fair question. Because there was a lot of nights where, you know, I just couldn't even let my mind go there because it was so nice to plot death. Just being real. If the revenge is still there, ask God. There's a root of bitterness there that he needs to get out. Ask him to do it. Get that tiller out and go at it. And the fourth one is an opportunity to help them test. If you had an opportunity to help the person who hurt you, would you? Not should you, would you? Let me give you an example. About three or four years after the divorce, I get this email out of the blue from my ex-husband. And he emails me, hey, how's it going? You remember that Scott Trade account that we opened up when I was teaching at this particular school so I could teach the kids how to work the market? Um, I, I forgot I opened it up in both of our names. So if you could sign this attached form and email it back, I can close the account. And I thought, how much is in this account? So I called up Scott Trade and explained the situation. The guy was so nervous. I said, well, my name's on the account, right? And he said, yeah. I said, how much is in it? And it was five figures. The first thing I thought was, he didn't disclose that. I could have got... And I stopped right there. Oh, no. And as soon as I thought that, I printed that out, signed it, and sent it back to him. And I said, it looks like you did well. I wish you luck with this. I was not about to undo the work God had done in my heart and life over something as filthy as money. No way. No way. It's not worth it. Forgiveness was too hard. So if you have an opportunity to help them, would you? Not should you, would you? So how do you know if you've forgiven? Like how is it, like the, what's the one thing it's like, okay, ah, I'm forgiven. What's that one moment? Well, my pastor, because he had to walk, they had to walk a whole congregation through a grieving process because of what had happened. It wasn't just me. It was a far-reaching emotional and spiritual shrapnel that went with that. And they, were, they did a series on the prodigal son, and they focused on forgiveness. So that by the time people were finding out what was happening, they had been hearing about forgiveness for weeks. I love my pastors to death. Thank God for them. But he said in his last message of that series, he said, you know that you've forgiven if you're more sad about who they've become than what they've done. If you're more sad about who they've become than what they've done, and I realized in that moment that that was true for me. I was sad about what his actions had cost him. The, the church, the, the family, the ministry, everything. And I was so sad about that. And I realized without me even knowing that God had allowed me to forgive the bulk of what had happened. And I tell you what, that was, you talk about breathing fresh air again. It was a huge weight. And I thought, I can live again. I can actually live again, live a life. And that started a day of, of, of 
writing because I was learning so much from God's word because I was passionate about studying his word. I read commentaries like novels. I'm really a nerd alert. It's sad. But I just, there had to be an outlet for that. So I started writing. Book number nine comes out this summer. And that is by the grace of God. I could have been angry and I could have been bitter and I would have had every right. But really, the ministry that God has brought about because I obeyed what he said to do, and he gives us the power to do that because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the power to forgive when he works it in us. So you may think, well, you don't know what he did to me. No, I don't. But I know what my ex-husband did to me and the ramifications of that. So I know maybe a little bit about what you're going through, and it's hard. But if you're more sad about who they've become than what they actually did, take a big breath because you're almost there. In closing, we have a choice in how we respond to hurt. We really do. And I think for me, anyone who's, who's been through a divorce, one of the biggest questions we have is, what are we going to do with our wedding ring? We have this naked finger now that was supposed to represent something. What? What? And so I entrusted my ring to one of my pastors, and I said, I, I can't even deal with that right now. I don't even know what to do with that. And so he kept it for months. And I finally realized what I was going to do with it. It was going to be a testimony to the forgiveness God worked in my heart. So I took it to a jeweler, and I had it transformed into this. I think there's a picture somewhere. I wear it on my right hand now, and it's shaped like a cross. This used to be my wedding ring. And on the inside is inscribed the address of Colossians 3.13 and the word forgiven. And this isn't just me forgiving someone. It's me forgiving everyone from now on who hurts me and to remember how much God has forgiven me. And let me tell you what, this ring alone has been such a ministry. I'll be in a grocery checkout line and some cashier will say, oh, that's a beautiful ring. And I'll say, well, that used to be my wedding ring, but I transformed it into something to remind me to forgive. There have been more prayer meetings and stuff happening in grocery stores and libraries than I can tell you about. Because God works good for those who trust him and walk according to his purpose. So we have a choice. Your walk towards forgiveness is your walk towards freedom. It doesn't have anything to do with him. It's for you obeying God and walking at that and living again. Because you are loved by an, a relentless, loving God who 100% loves you, 100% forgives you, and 100% wants you to be his light in the dark world. So don't let anger and bitterness get in the way. We don't have time for that. We are here for a blip on the map of a timeline of eternity, and we have a finite time to spread the word. And we can't do it if we're wallowing in anger and bitterness. So that's my prayer for you, that if you're struggling with forgiveness, whoever it is, I pray that you diligently walk toward it because what, is, what does it say in Jeremiah? God will give you the desires of your heart. He will. He will. Can I pray for you? Father God, thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for everyone that you brought to Pilgrim today to hear your words about forgiveness. Father, I pray that you begin opening doors and opening pathways for people to love each other and extend forgiveness. And it's going to be hard, Father, but I ask that you work that in us in a way that astounds us and is a witness to the world to be light when all we can see sometimes is darkness. So, Father, let us trust you and let us walk in your word in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.